Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. February 24th, 2019, it's already Oscars time again, everybody. So happy Academy Awards Day. Ah, happy Academy Awards Day. That's right. Uh, And so, hey guys, uh, this is Mike from the band Sunspot and see on the side. I am joined by my trusty drummer, Wendy from the band Sunspot, my very silly sister, yeah, it's Allison from MilwaukeeGhost.com and HawaiiParacon.com. And also, coming back, we got What's Your Ghost Story? We got... Scott Marcus. And I do have to point out that Wendy keeps the time on the songs and here on the show. So she's really <laughs> the, the pace Hold setter. <laughs> nice. And then a special guest today, we are joined by uh, our friend and paranormal author, Charles Martin. Chuck, how you doing? All right. All right. Welcome. So Welcome, coming Chuck. At you, so anybody have any movies that they're rooting for tonight at the Academy Awards? Oh, boy. I mean, I, I don't even know what, what's up for an award. I'm so out of it. And, and, we, and we as a family should still be into it because in the 80s, uh, our, our mom uh, won a trip to the Academy Awards. So it's kind of a special memory. For us. It's, oh, it's yeah. a family event. Yeah. Here. Oh, yeah. We used to watch it every single year. And, you know, we talk about we try to watch the movies and stuff like that before as long as they were appropriate. And then anything that won, we would go see after uh, after it did. So, no, always love the Oscars. Even even in college, we used to have Oscar parties and you'd make little ballots. And, you know, whoever you'd have a, some kind of prize for whoever got the most number of winners correct. And they'd usually start with like maybe champagne or something like that. And it would nice. end with whatever was in the fridge, like ended up like Mountain Dew and vodka is how you'd close the evening. <laughs> Milwaukee's best. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you'd but- start with something classy and then you'd end, you'd end up um, crap faced just like a real Oscars party. But I didn't realize beyond the alcohol, there's actually an Oscars curse. This, this oh, is yeah. something that I'm learning about today for the first time. Oh, well, oh we so you talked- didn't listen a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Last February, we talked about the Oscar love curse. Oops. And that, that was how traditionally um, people say that the women who won the Best Actress Award uh, tended to be Splitsville with their husbands or with their boyfriends shortly after winning the award. And so this happened to everybody from uh, Mary Steenburgen, Jessica Lange, Gina Davis broke up with Jeff Goldblum right after Accidental Tourist. Kim Basinger broke up with Alec Baldwin after L.A. Confidential. You know, this happened to a ton of people. And just recently, the Oscar love curse has struck again, my friends. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Captain Marvel herself, Brie Larson, who won the 2016 Oscar for the movie Room, which was the feel-good movie of 2016 uh, for people that like to keep women trapped in their basements. <laughs> there's a market for anything, you know? <laughs> there is, right. Obviously, there's more people doing it than we thought about, so that movie is for them. So she was engaged to musician Alex Greenwald, lead singer of the band Phantom Planet. Oh, with Jason Schwartzman. Wait, well, he's yes, in that he, band, too. Yeah, he's no longer in the band, but Jason Schwartzman, Rushmore himself... No, he's, he wasn't. He didn't play Rushmore. But that just was his, was his best movie. Yeah, he was the he was the drummer in Phantom Planet. Alex Greenwald was the singer and uh, songwriter, and he was going out with Brie Larson, but their engagement ended this January. Ah, hmm. after nominees were announced. Right. That's that's that's, that's what did it him. So uh, so that's what happened. So Phantom Planet's best known for their track California which was the theme song for the OC. And I'm so. telling you, I, I lived in California. I lived in L.A. when that song first came out, and uh, it was on all the time. Mm-hmm. So it kind of was with our anthem out there. Yeah, no, ca- ca- Californians love to, to uh, write songs about themselves and then sing them. The Beach Boys yeah. wrote a whole <laughs> song about the ladies, and they're like, hey, I wish they all could be. So that's the update on the Oscar love curse. Brie Larson is the latest 
and the victims, falling victim uh, to her relationship breaking up after being a big winner in Academy Award gold. But, I mean, people think that they're cursed after winning Academy Awards uh, all the time. Yeah, Tom Hanks, is, his career's never been the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's ended up, you know, and this is like anything, uh, I think, when it comes to these kind of superstitions and curses and stuff, because... You can almost find a, uh, you know, you can find an example and you can find an exception to the rule for almost anything. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say that the winning Best New Artist at the Grammys is a career-ending curse type thing. But, you know, I think the Beatles won it too. So it's not obviously taking everybody down. Right. Just because it took down Millie Vanilli. Yeah. (laughs) Does it mean that it's going to take your career down? And when you think about the Academy Awards... A lot of times, the awards go to either people who are brand new, who maybe have not been tested yet in their career, or they go to the people who are kind of at the end of things. Mm, that's true. And it's given to them as an award. Like, not everybody's going to be Matthew McConaughey, who started off as a lightweight kind of thing, and then then he's making commercials, and everybody thinks he's a joke, who's just better known for his abs than his ability. And then he, <laughs> you know, and then he comes out swinging with the Dallas Buyers Club, and... Yeah. The Mac- we go through the reconnaissance, and now everything he touched, now he, the things he touched mostly turn to gold. When you think about winners who might have been cursed, uh, they say Cuba Gooding Jr.'s career never was the same after Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we get you wish. Yeah, yeah, you got him there. Mercedes Rule won for uh, the Fisher King. That really, I mean, that was such a great movie. Um, Terry Gilliam's movie with Robin Williams and Jeff mm-hmm. Bridges. And she was the girlfriend in that movie and, and did such a great job. But then you can't really, haven't really heard about her much since then. Kim Basinger hasn't had a good movie role since she won for LA Confidential. And, but the thing is, Kim Basinger was known for like young, attractive woman roles. And so what, there's also the curse of being She's a none of those over, things anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's also the curse of, of being over 40 in Hollywood. Sure. Like that's got its own curse. Like you don't have to win gold to not be employable after you turn 40 years old. Especially if you're a woman, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially. So, you know, the things they talk about with these curses, I think they're just a lot of times it's just puff pieces. Even though like take something like Roberto Benini, who was already a very famous Italian comedian when he won for Life is Beautiful which was a comedy set in a concentration camp. And you think not it's since not Hogan's gonna... Heroes has it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you think it's not going to work, but then you see the movie, and it's great. Like, I mean, it's very powerful. It's Very powerful, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, but then Roberto Benigni hasn't really been in anything groundbreaking since then, 20 years. Well, you wonder, too, if they want... They, you know, like, my big drive is I want to one day win an Oscar... And then you do it, and maybe your drive isn't there as much. Uh, you can sure. start. Uh, you can start endorsing hot dogs for, <laughs> for to make your make ends meet, and that's uh, you can just lay back now. Yeah, or work on your next dream. Yeah, it's the whole peaking early thing. You know, think about. Uh, well, think about the kid from the Sixth Sense or whatever. Sure. You know. Oh, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. He's back now. Yeah. Though. Yeah. <laughs> he, no, I did see he's in Future Man. Oh, and yeah, he was on the X Files. Come on! What I'm saying is, he peak early with that movie like that. You're like, the, I'm the <laughs> see dead people kid, and I the know. rest of your life, you know, it's like uh, he was so uh, powerful. Yeah, it's, he, it's, he should it's have like been Jason. cast in the Phantom Menace. I mean, if you want a kid who looks well, sure, really troubled. <laughs> well, and Jake Lloyd. Speak, speaking of cursed, I mean, Jake Lloyd says that movie ruined his life. The Phantom Menace. Yeah, Anakin Skywalker. The kid that played Anakin Skywalker. Oh man! So. I mean, that idea. I mean, obviously, uh, there's no supernatural curse associated with that particular film besides Jar Jar Binks being supernaturally stupid. Like it would take, (laughs) I think it would, I think it would take a uh, beyond human, some kind of extraterrestrial intellectual capacity to create a character like Jar Jar Binks and think, (laughs) you know what, this, this is going to work. This uh, he, he's so strong he can have his own spinoff. We oh, can morph this guy up. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna be he's gonna be huge. What? Yeah, make him sound like a racist caricature. Yeah, of course. <laughs> People love that stuff. Oh man. It, okay, okay. So the thing is, Academy Awards is there a curse? According to science, not really. But we do <laughs> but, have. The, if you want to hear the episode we did last year about it, it is episode 185, and you can find it at othersidepodcast.com slash 185, and you can hear about all of the other interesting uh, Oscar lore. 
And, and yeah. interestingly, for the show notes on that one, I did an expose looking at all of the haunted Oscar locations where the theaters, where the Ooh. ceremony was held. And uh, there's a lot. Like, I, I knew that there were a handful, but from the very first one at the Roosevelt Hotel, it's in, in a ballroom that is still has a cold spot constantly there where the uh, podium stood. So maybe the Oscars themselves are cursed from the very first go. Well, that's what we're going to find out tonight. So whoever wins tonight, we hope something horrible happens to them shortly afterwards. Oh, so we can have an terrible. episode next year called The Oscar Curse. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as you say, it's, it's probably a, a puff piece. But, I mean, there are countless instances of curses cross-culturally over millennia. So there might be something. Okay, so let's say I wanted to curse you because the thing about cursing or, or cursing someone, uh, it's funny because we use when someone says profanity, we say they're using curse words. So mm-hmm. if I, you know, or swear words. And that's funny. The thing is because like swearing, you think of swearing an oath or whatever on the Bible if you're in court. That's where I usually do it. Yeah, that's what I, but that's because swearing and cursing both occupy the same like religious space to some people, okay? So if you say to somebody, damn you to hell, that's invoking God's name because you're asking God to do your, you know, your dirty work for you. And when you're saying an oath... Like when you say, so help you, God, or the, you know, the bailiffs in there going, tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God. And you're like, thank you, Judge Wapner. That saying God in there is also breaking one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not take God's name in vain. Hmm. So that's the same kind of thing. So some people, you know how sometimes you read some religious books and they don't actually say the word God, they have G slash D. That's that same idea that you don't just say God's name willy-nilly. It's sacred. Yeah, it's sacred. And so when you do something that violates the sacred, it's called profane, and you're saying profanity. So that's essentially the idea of cursing uh, or swearing kind of occupies that same kind of space. And so, but if I wanted to curse somebody, I'm not just going to say, damn you to hell. I'm probably going to look at you funny. And how would you look at somebody funny to, to curse them? Allison, you understand this because you talk yeah. about this in the Milwaukee tour. And I've seen you curse people. <laughs> Mostly you, Mike. Uh, but yeah, uh, even in Milwaukee, um, I did not know this, but you know, our Italian community here had a strong tradition of melocchio, uh, which means the evil eye. Ooh. And... I had not realized that the area that I primarily um, do tours right now, the third ward of Milwaukee, that was uh, Milwaukee's little Italy for uh, decades. And people would come to our little Italy to seek out what, what were called evil eye doctors, <laughs> which, you know, sounds like ophthalmologists trying to take over the world. But no, it was uh, female faith healers who would help you with your spiritual ailments. So uh, they would feel that that one of the most potent curses was also the most ubiquitous. Uh, Melocchio is the idea that you can be cursed just by a look. And the most scary thing about it is that, of course, you know, a witch could curse you intentionally, but Melocchio is usually unintentional. That even your best friend just in a moment of, of jealousy or envy, could look at you in a certain way and it could actually do you physical harm. So you would no. see, yeah. And so that was a scary thing about it because uh, when you think about being in public, the eyes of everyone are upon you. So just think about how dangerous it was even to walk out the front door or even in your own home because one of your family members, you know, if they felt jealousy, just that that flare of that green monster coming up could could actually cause you to become physically ill. Makes me think of that saying um, that you're staring daggers at someone. Yes. So, and and it it would just happen many times unintentionally but then you would go to an evil eye doctor and they would take this basin of holy water and they draw a cross in it with olive oil and if uh, the cross remained you were fine but if the oil dispersed you were cursed and then yeah so the 
evil eye doctors would perform elaborate rituals upon you to lift the curse of the evil eye. But the problem is that we don't, we still don't know the exact uh, formula for uh, the rituals to kill the, uh, to cure the evil eye uh, because they are, were held so secret uh, um, amongst families and they still are even today. I, I have families who have been on the, the tour who are still actively practicing the tradition. And, you know, some of them offered to tell me, but I said, um, I don't know if you should, because if the evil eye is a real thing, the idea is if the cure gets out, it'll lose its power. And you don't want to lose your only defense uh, against a curse that's ubiquitous. So uh, we do know that uh, the cure involves uh, the laying on of hands and incant incantations, um, many, many prayers, but you know, we don't know uh, much more than that because uh, the tradition is only passed down among family members and only at one specific time of year, uh, only on a Christmas Eve, uh, can it be passed down to a family member? So only at, at midnight on Christmas Eve can you pass that on. And and that's the only time you ever, ever talk about it. It's just a very special Christmas gift. Right. It's a very sacred gift, yes. And that special gift was given to Ronnie James Dio. Right. So you gave me that story, Mike. So, so Mike, uh, for you guys who don't know, I mean, he's more than a musician. He's also a writer, and he's interviewed a lot of notables in the rock and roll industry, one of them being Ronnie James Dio, who claimed responsibility for, what do you, what do you call that, that symbol, Mike? I, you know, in... Um, the in, metal horns. Okay, the metal horns. Rock so, fists. <laughs> Yeah, what, the rock fist. The rock fist or metal horns. Okay, so in Italian tradition, it is called um, Manu Cornuta, and it is the, the bull's horns, you know, the hand horns. And uh, so this was something that, that he said he got from his Italian grandmother. And this was a way to ward off the evil eye if you didn't have uh, amulet or those little um, gold horns that Italian men um, often wear. If you didn't have any of those amulet amulets of protection on you, if you felt you were coming under uh, the power of the evil eye, you could make the, the menu cornuda. And so that was something that when uh, you were telling me, Mike, that 81 was it? 1981 when Ozzy left... Uh, the band, yeah. Tell tell the story. They kicked Ozzy out of Black Sabbath because he was a wastoid in the early '80s. Oh, and they kicked him out. Yeah, and so Ozzy was not getting along with Geezer Butler or Tony Iommi or Bill Ward, and they were friends with Dio because Dio played in Rainbow with Richie Blackmore, and he hung around with all these English metal guys, and they just really hit it off. And so Ozzy would always make the peace sign, you know, right, like the double peace hand. sign, like Nixon, yeah, at the end of yeah, his shows. So, Right, and so Ozzy would throw up that, and and everybody would give the peace sign back. And Dio wanted to all he he thought he had to have a hand movement when he replaced Ozzy as the lead singer of Black Sabbath. Ah, oh, so yeah. So he's the, like, the we got to do something. We got to keep up with those hand symbols, the gesture. Yeah. It's all in the gesture, baby. And so he'd make he you know he'd throw up the horns that his grandmother taught him to ward off the evil eye, and the horns would act like the antenna. Like the idea is that it the um and I, I want to say menudo, even though it's not called the menudo, I know, um, but the <laughs> horns would the, the horns would act like an antenna, and they would pick up the evil eye and distribute like get rid of that evil energy before it got to you. So you right. held them up as a defense. So like you can either do that. It. Yeah. So if you think you're getting under the influence of the evil eye, you can either like throw up the horns. You can put on <laughs> Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath, which is the best non-Ozzy album they ever made. And, and you can do you know, that. Anthropologists who have studied the evil eye have pointed out that it, it goes back all the way to ancient Mesopotamia to um, when those uh, female um, statues, those statues of the goddess that were very voluptuous originally changed so that they were stick thin with huge eyes on top, <laughs> kind of like our, our supermodels of today. A uh, little editorial comment there. But, but anyway, <laughs> um, so they changed from this voluptuous form to a thin figure whose most prominent feature were these two bulging eyes. So that's the idea 
of the uh, evil eye as a very female power, and the bull's horns were like the the male counteraction to block yeah. the power of the evil eye. And that's how Dio kind of like kind of talked though too. And it's funny in the interview. I just want to bring this up. It's just because I didn't put it in the writing, but I thought it was funny. He was like, "Yeah, you know, I I see a lot of women fronted metal bands, and he's the very uh, you know he just says like." I just don't think they can do it. And I'm like, Ooh, Jesus, Ronnie. No, you didn't. Um, I'm like, I, I just took the Lord's name in vain, too. But okay, so I'm like, <laughs> well, you know. And he just goes in. He's like, yeah, you know, if it's going to be metal to me, I need a pair of balls. Oh, and come so, on. But, yeah, and he really throws that out there. But what <laughs> I, and I, what anti- antiquated ideas of masculinity versus femininity and music and metal and things like that to side the fact that you bring up the devil horns the uh the dio you know horns that to fight off the evil eye are a masculine antidote right. to a feminine energy and then he's like i just don't think chicks can do metal i need a pair of balls and i could hear the chest hair like falling off his tongue he started pounding his chest too while he was doing it it just but um that idea of the masculine and feminine energies competing yeah uh, i th- i find it very you know, anthropologically interesting whether we're talking about the fifth century BC or whether talking about 1940s New York City where Ronnie James Dio grew up. You know, you have you know those same kind of things, and that idea of like an older woman in your family cursing you. Now, Chuck, you you know you mentioned that you might have that kind of thing in in your own family. Sort of, yeah. Um the story that I heard was I have two grandmothers that were best friends. Well, I don't know if they were best friends. They were friends. They worked together. And they weren't very happy when my mother and father eloped. <laughs> and it kind of broke up their friendship. And um, both of them were very bitter towards me growing up. And one day, one of them slipped up and told me that, you know, well, your, your, your other grandmother should never have said that she wished you were stillborn. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and... And I'm well, like, oh, wait horn. a minute. This explains why in all the photos of, you know, you the family gathers around and take pictures with the baby. She's the only one that's not smiling. Oh <laughs> Everybody else is excited because, you know, here's another. I was only like uh, the second grandchild on one side of my family, my dad's side. And on my mother's side, I was the first one. And I could never understand why is grandma frowning? Why does she looks so pissed? Uh, so I've always thought of it as a curse, not like where she's inflicted anything on me from other sources, she verbally cursed me at birth and then kind of was mean to me my whole life. And I could never understand why until I got older. I'm like, oh, now I get it. Okay. So she didn't like the elopement. That's the problem. Oh, but it wasn't your fault, Chuck. Jeez. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the biblical in itself. The sins of the father shall be visited upon the son when you're like, I didn't do nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And when my parents got divorced, I thought she'd be happy, but, you know, apparently not. So Aww. the damage was already done. I, I picture her as one of the people that are in the uh, the Rosemary's Baby clan, you know, just just very kind of twisted. Well, and she, they got she was ideas. a member of the Eastern Star, and I always thought of them as very cult-like when I was a kid because nobody was allowed in the chamber where they held their... Their service. If you're not familiar with Eastern Star, it's like yeah, a female offshoot of the Masons. Yeah, the, the female. Oh. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and they've got like this secret chamber with a big five-pointed star painted on it. And they, I don't know, I, I, I went to the building once with them and had to wait in some room while they, my grandfather and her went through the ceremony. But um, other than that, no witchcraft or anything. She was a organist for the local church and even taught piano lessons. So, uh, but she was a very angry lady. Aww. It seems like, yeah, it seems like more anger or, you know, misdirected rage than anything else. But just yeah. the, that, I, that idea of cursing or being cursed and doing that to somebody else, that's where, you know, you got to bring up the, you know, the bullhorns to, to ward that off. Or <laughs> If only I had known that. Well, the thing is, now, Chuck, you think you've had experiences with a couple of curses and stuff yourself. And, and you know, this was, you guys know, Chuck is one of our awesome Patreon community and we've been... Uh, friends with them for uh, over well over a year now and we always say that if anybody has a great idea for an episode to send us an email and let us know well Chuck had a great idea for an episode about curses and we thought it'd be perfect to follow up our Oscar curse episode with another curse episode and he had a couple of stories himself now didn't you say that you think you've had a, a 
like a curse touch you in your own life and your your latest book that we've discussed before stranger than fiction yeah it was i mean i I always have bad luck it's kind of like a running joke um you know kids getting sick cars breaking down but everybody has that in their life um but when i decided to write this collection of ghost stories and 40 and stuff that i had gathered over my lifetime i had like an increased number of of bad luck things happen Uh, for example in 2017, my wife was in a car wreck. She wasn't that badly hurt, but it was a car we'd only had for like five months. That in and of itself, that doesn't seem like anything. But then we also, our daughter got diagnosed with scoliosis. Um, then I fell down the steps at the house and messed my ankle up and was um, laid up for a while on that. Then the following year, our daughter, we found out that all the physical therapy we'd been taking her to wasn't good enough. She was going to have to have surgery. She had the surgery. Thankfully, there were no complications. Um, then in July of last year, our dog died just out of the blue, mm. like with no warning sign or anything. She, Aww. We think she had eaten something and it lodged in her intestines. And I had a lot of other just really weird little things. You know, when they happen, you don't think anything of it. But when you sit down, and you make a list. And it's like, wow, these really have been two sucky years. Yeah, things really the, pile the up sometimes. Yeah, the coup de grace was just last week. I was leaving my day job, walking down the hall, and I was thinking, I got to come up with a way to promote this this ghost story book. I've got a couple free days left on Kindle. I want to. I don't want to waste them. And as I'm thinking about that, two birds outside just dive bomb the window I'm walking towards. Oh bam, God. bam, and bounce <laughs> off the window. And I was like. Well, that's like right out of a cheesy B-movie. Yeah, <laughs> <the heck>? totally. <laughs> so, Chuck, why do you think, though, that uh, the publication of your book would be a problem? I mean, who do you think you ticked off? Well, I, I think it's more of a thing where when you put these things in your life, you attract these things. I know a lot of the ghost hunters talk mm-hmm. about that, that if you're into it and you keep going to the houses, you can bring stuff home. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it could go either way. It could be purely psychological where... This was a lot of bad stuff, and I've just, it, the ideas popped in my head, and I can't get it out. Sure. Or maybe it's because I was really dwelling on this stuff and writing it down and, you know, remembering stories and contacting people about additional stories to add to the book, uh, talking to my friends who have ghost stories of their own so I can include those in the book. Um, I kind of think it was, you know, I, I got into that world too much, and so then the, that world bleeds over into mine. Or I imagined it all. Right. So when you look into the phenomena, it starts looking back at you. Right. Yes. Right. How, it's that's the Nietzschean abyss. Right? <laughs> that's right. That who's you know beware when you stare into the abyss, it might stare back, man. Yeah. <laughs> so cosmic. Yeah. So um, but that's you know really interesting that as you were you know working on this book and the publication of it just thinking about it just thinking about it caused some birds to commit suicide near you (laughs) (laughs) but didn't you also have a friend who seemed to have been cursed now this is this is something i think is really interesting too because this gets in the realm of cursed objects yeah this is the most compelling of the cursed stories i've ever heard a guy i was stationed with uh, i don't want to say which base and i'm not going to use his name but he had been in uh, Europe and was stationed in Italy, and at that time, the U.S. Air Force was building what were called Glickham bases, uh, GLCM, ground launch cruise missiles. Those were where they had trucks with nuclear missiles on them. The idea was you could drive it around anywhere you wanted, launch it, the Soviets wouldn't know where it was to stop it. And they had a base that these trucks would be based in and out of. And as he told the story, they picked some land in Italy. The Italian government said, yeah, you can, you can build a base here. It had been a former Nazi site in World War II, and one of the one of the buildings that was left over, um, they busted the seals on it, the padlocks and chains and everything. And the the American forces were trying to evaluate: is this something we can use, or do we just need to bulldoze it and fill it in with concrete? I was in what was called the security police at that time. They're called security forces. And our job was to secure sites on installations, control who comes onto an Air Force base, who leaves, providing all the security. And that's what my friend did. And so one night he finds himself guarding this site that's open. So, of course, him and his partner decide to go inside and check it out. Uh, that's one of the, 
one of the uh, drawbacks of being in security forces is you are around a lot of really neat stuff and you're not really supposed to go certain places, but inevitably there's guys who like, hey man, let's go check this out. <laughs> Yeah. And when they went inside, it That's was... That's what I'd be like. Mischief maker. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be the only one who... They'd put me in jail right away. Yeah, like, you know, don't touch this airplane you're guarding. And then the next shift comes on and there's fingerprints all over the airplane. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's I'm a saddle on top of it. I don't, yeah. I don't want to say what airplane it is, but the, the oil from human fingerprints degrades the special paint that's on this one oh aircraft oh. and so it's a dead giveaway somebody's been touching the plane because you know the ground maintenance crews wipe it all down otherwise they'd have to reapply this special paint special but, terrible paint yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, is, it yeah. Just, is it just fingerprints or people like press their other butt anyway oh, okay no, just, yeah. no, it's just fingerprints like on the Moving nose of the airplane on. or on the side yeah, i'm just saying something yeah. like, airplanes can be sexy oh please <laughs> well i don't want to say <laughs> what plane it again. is so all right yeah so back to italy so he goes inside this bunker and they he said it was like everybody just vanished like there was cups of coffee sitting out, you know, obviously they're moldy and dried out and everything because they've been there for 40 or 50 years. Wow. Uh, you know, charts on the wall, papers on tables. I mean, they literally just ran away. Oh my God, the Americans are coming and abandoned it. So he sees this Nazi SS ceremonial dagger laying out and he's thinking, hey, cool, souvenir. And he, he picks it up and takes it. Again, um, I saw a lot of guys do stuff like that, Seems take like souvenirs from places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was always horrified. Oh, my God, we're going to get caught. Put that right. back. What are you doing? Um, I was never brave enough to do that. But um, my friend did, and he said ever since he had it, he just had a ton of bad luck. Like I talked about with writing my book, only worse. And it, it culminated in for him with his child. He had a son who contracted. He got stationed later in uh, Panama. And while they were there, his kid got some kind of disease and had this super high temperature, almost died, ended up with oh. brain damage. And oh, when it was when it was over with, his son was kind of autistic, but like angry all the time. And they had a lot of problems, developmental problems with him. So when he was done in Panama, he decided it's got to be this dagger. He was convinced of it. So <laughs> before they left, he buried it in the backyard of his uh, house that oh, was, no. uh, yeah, base housing. You know, the Air Force has houses for some families. Other families have to find housing off base. It depends on the base you're at. He had on base housing. He buried it in the backyard. They moved. Problem solved. No more bad luck. You know, now who knows if the per next person yeah, right. that moved in had any luck, bad luck. But, you know, years, this was probably, I don't know, four or five years later that I met him and met his son and all that. And he was absolutely convinced that Nazi dagger was the source of all his problems. Wow. You know, and that's just the kind of thing, that's the kind of cursed artifact or whatever. Of course, it's going to be a Nazi thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. The you stakes know, couldn't be higher for that. Yeah, you know, it's it's like finding uh, something from the Knights Templar or whatever. You know, you find that stuff, and it's like obviously um, you're finding something held not just by like a regular German grunt who had to go to the war, but by the SS who were the like uh, you know that you find the psychos, you put them all in one room, and then you let them loose, and that becomes the SS. And, you know, of course, that's going to have a weird energy just around it in the first place. And so the fact that he was convinced and all the bad luck happened um, yeah. because and, and, and that he, he he thought it was OK to tell you about, too. You know, that like, yeah. I'm not, you know, of course, I'm not crazy, but I did bury a dagger in the backyard because I thought I was giving me bad luck. Well, I did get some other stories from him that are in the book. And he was somebody who was reluctant to talk about that stuff mm. at first. But we worked together a lot. And on night shift, inevitably, ghost stories come up. And, yeah. you know, after you tell a few, people become more loose-lipped and they're more willing to tell stories like that. So it it was probably five or six months after I was at my new posting with him that I finally started getting these stories out of him. Nice, nice. Well, that's a... Uh... That's pretty powerful. And of course, if you guys want to pick up a copy of Stranger Than Fiction, uh, the link will be in the show notes where you can grab a copy of Chuck's book and the, uh, the fascinating Fortiana that he has gathered uh, over a lifetime of investigative research. And we don't have any evidence that the book itself 
will put a curse on you. So <laughs> it's on my I've Kindle it, now, and it still yeah, operates. We've all so. read it, and yeah. well, so far so good. So <laughs> it's on Don't my worry. Kindle. And the only thing I can say is the only way to break the curse of Chuck's book is to read it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you say the only way to break the curse is to read. No, it's a good book, and I highly recommend it. It's a, interesting stories, and I feel like Chuck's not going to say anything. Uh, that I don't believe or that I don't believe yeah. at least is coming from a place of someone searching for the truth instead of somebody who's just making some crap up uh, to make a couple of bucks. So make sure you check out that book. Now, speaking of books, now, Scott Marcus, uh, you've got a curse story in one of your volumes, do you Yes. Not? Uh, yeah, and actually, talking about cursed objects, um, so I, my first foray into the paranormal was 1999. I did a documentary with a couple of friends, uh, we were up to no good. Sorry. Um, wow. And one of the first places we went to was the Resurrection Mary area. And this actually wasn't what I'm going to talk about fully. But um, this uh, Archer Woods Cemetery, it was the scariest place. Like, it felt unnerving in daylight. Partially because it was just a place that... It's still an active cemetery. Like, they still have new burials and all that. But it's just not managed very well. It's not taken care of. So people go in there and do who knows what kind of weird stuff. Uh are they cultists? Do they get into that kind of stuff there? It's possible. We saw all sorts of just odd things that you wouldn't normally see at a cemetery that's being taken care of, including like stuffed animals and other statues and whatnot hanging by nooses from trees. Hey. So naturally, we took one of them. Uh, Seems like a great idea. Yeah, you know, As you, I thought, do. you know, we should <laughs> we should clean up. We'll take some of this terrible stuff Garbage. down. Right. This is gonna look great in my office. <laughs> exactly. And my uh, one of my co-hosts on the documentary um, had it in his car, and I think for the first week after that, he got two speeding tickets. He like failed a test. S- something got spoiled, like between he and his girlfriend. And so he was convinced that we took bad energy and it's plaguing him now and he had to get rid of it. And I said, yeah, I'll take it. You make stupid decisions. <laughs> you do dumb things. Dumb things will happen. There just so happens to be a bizarre object in the back of your car. Now, I will say I didn't let it in the house for a while just to be safe. But, mm. you know, now now it's actually just part of my weird collection of things that you pick up doing this kind of stuff and no curse there. But... Uh, Chicago has a, a, well, a lot of colorful, strange history, and one of the more unique characters is a guy by the name of Cap Streeter, Ca- uh, Captain George Streeter. Uh, he was a uh, Civil War, uh, he fought captain for the Union, and he did all sorts of different things. I mean, he, he was very much a promotions guy, a Barman Bailey type. He had, like, traveling sideshows a little bit, and he got into the theater world, uh, but he... His love was the sea. So at one point he went back onto the, uh, onto the open waters, but they didn't stay open for very long because he eventually beached his boat on a sandbar about 400 yards off the coast of Lake Michigan and thought, well, I'm here in my boat. Might as well call this my house. I live here now. And in time, the sandbar was building up. This is the late 1800s, 1880s. And in time, he started to allow people to dump... Uh, junk kind of around the sandbar. Uh, Chicago was building up after the Chicago fire, so there's all sorts of construction, and he just invited people to throw their construction materials over that way, and it ended up filling in between the shore of Lake Michigan and his sandbar, and now we have several hundred new acres, and he said, well, this is my town. This is not part of Illinois. The, The Illinois line stops way back at that shore there, where it originally, the shore originally was, this is my own pristine new state. And, of course, many, many, many legal battles ensued. This guy was an absolute character. He defended his land. He eventually had an army of, like, 500 volunteers that would kind of fight for him. He, of course, was able to pay them off with new plots of land in this new state. And, uh, I mean, so so many crazy things happened. Uh, So many huge skirmishes where there was, like, real real injuries between people. But he was able to claim self-defense. And he was right by, by the letter of the law, even though who knows what the state laws were, because we didn't yet know if this was part of Illinois or not. That hadn't been determined. Um, one of my favorite ones was um, the Chicago, Chicago police alleged that they had one of their carriages shot at by the Streeterville crew. And so they came to arrest him and he was arrested. And turns out there's no law in the books that said you couldn't shoot at a police carriage. <laughs> so it's the early days. 
But in time, eventually, there was a casualty, a fatality that happened uh, while Streeter was patrolling his property. But we don't even know to this day, was that a setup? Did it really happen? How did things go down? Whatever the case, we know all that land today is owned by the state of Illinois. And this finally got uh, settled in 1918. So we're just past the 100-year anniversary of Streeterville. And modern day, Streeterville is where the John Hancock Tower is. It's where the, ah. the yeah, it's, it's a very wealthy part of Chicago. But it is said that to his dying day, Cap Streeter cursed that land. Said, you took it from me. It is cursed. Screw you all. And that's what he did with his dying breaths. And especially the Hancock Tower is associated with all sorts of bizarre phenomena that people allege is a connection to this curse. Uh, my favorite one, because this sounds so like out of the Bible, out of the Old Testament, is that there's twice a year a migration of spiders that crawl up no! one side of the Hancock Tower in mass across the roof of it and then down the other side. You would think if they, if the building got put up in their migration pattern, they would find an easier way around it. <laughs> but yeah. you know, there's a lot of radio stations broadcast out of there, and Steve Dahl broadcast out of there, and he would talk about, oh, today the spiders are walking. He See him coming down nope. <laughs> the window. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, and it gets much darker, of course. Uh, 1972, Lorraine Kowalski is the most famous, well, most mysterious death that happened on the property. Uh, she and her boyfriend were in one of the rooms. Uh, if, if you guys don't know, there's office building, office space for the first several stories, and then high-end uh, apartments from there to the top. And, and there is the signature room, so you can get a get a cocktail at the top of the building. Classy place. Yes, very very high end uh, and beautiful views of the city. But while the boyfriend was in the bathroom washing up for the night, he heard a crash, came out. Lorraine's clothes were all folded neat in a pile, and she had somehow thrown herself through one of the plate glass windows, mm. uh, committing suicide, which obviously that's in and of itself is a sad thing. But that happens. Suicides wow. happen. Was dinner that bad? Yeah. <laughs> and why would you bother folding your clothes? There we go. It's weird. Well, nobody wants to go out like a slob. <laughs> so I did she jump? Was... Did she jump naked? Just think of yeah. the Is that rumors. what she did? Yeah, she was. She was nude. Uh, the double pane oh, glass. I mean, that's a pretty hot way to go. <laughs> oh my. That's reminiscent of the four one one missing people cases. Oh sure. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if uh, Ch- of, um, David Palinuk, is that his last name? Dave, Something like that. No, David Palides. Palides, yeah. yes. I was thinking Chuck Palinuk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Is, is he really interested in missing people, or does he just like the idea of thinking about naked people? Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah, David Palinuk. pointing a mirror Palides. at you now, Mike. So, right. David Palinuk talks a lot about uh, people that go missing and finding piles of their clothes, uh, you know, neatly folded. Uh, you know, with their shoes on top, you know, like anybody's gonna do that. Like if you're you're half mad, you know, because you're freezing yeah. to death or something like that. Sure, it, it's sure. just uh, I, I don't I don't even do that at my house, yeah. <laughs> like almost ever. So yeah, the idea that you be out in the woods or just before you kill yourself, you fold up your clothes. Yeah, very weird. Yeah, and the thing that I think makes it more mysterious is that these double paned window glasses could withstand pressure of 280 pounds per foot and she was a 130 pound woman how could she possibly have mustered up the force to be able to go through that she hulked uh, out yeah <laughs> seriously um of course the most famous death is much less mysterious but still sad and tragic and that is that's where chris farley passed away is in the hancock tower oh didn't know that yeah and then in 2002 there was this uh windstorm that whipped up uh on one weekend and sent a bunch of scaffolding on the side of the building that should have been able to withstand a, a lot of this kind of wind, uh, but it sent it falling to the ground some you know, 80 or so stories, uh, killing three people, injuring eight others, crushing oh, some man. cars that were parked on the street. And uh, w- one last bit that I would say is not part of this curse, but a lot of times gets reported, is that Poltergeist Part 3 uh, shot in the Hancock Tower. It shot across oh, yeah. the street at, uh, at Water Tower Place. And of course, it was after that movie that Heather O'Rourke passed away, uh, tragically young, the the little blonde girl that said, they're here. But uh, if anything, I think that's more associated with the case of uh, the curse of the Poltergeist movies themselves, which is a curse that plagued that whole franchise. 
Yeah, and we talked about that on the Toby Hooper, uh, the Toby yes. Hooper episode of Seeing the Other Side. Um, we went into detail on what might or might not be the truth behind the poltergeist curse. Speaking of Chris Farley and his uh, his passing away, the picture of Chris Farley's um, well from the scene where he died mm-hmm. is one of the uh, the featured exhibits at the Zach Baggins Haunted Museum in, in Las Vegas. Dude, wow. yeah, and so I'd never seen the picture of like Chris Farley's deathbed or whatever, Aww. and uh, I I I just visited the the haunted museum uh, for the first time. All right, this so past let's, week, let's hear about it, Mike. Yeah. All right, well, okay, just a little bit. Just speaking of cursed objects. Okay, first of all, it's not like it's near downtown Las Vegas, so it's pretty far away from the Strip. It's about a mile away from like the Fremont Street area, and so we walked there. And so it was a pretty good. It was a, it was a pretty good walk. Um, you pass by like the shop from Pawn Stars, like it's one of the things cool. you pass. I want to go. Yeah, and then you, and you pass by a couple of the like the more famous wedding chapels that you see, and then you get there, and it's a. Uh, it it doesn't really look that scary. The mansion itself kind of looks like a Ponderosa from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> like horrifying. Well, let's be honest. That is scary. <laughs> right, right. It's you know, it's um, it's really just haunted by, uh, haunted by like bad nacho cheese. But the thing is, <laughs> you get there and you find out that uh, the mansion formerly belonged to a guy named Cyril Wangert, who was a big wig in early Nevada history. Well, more like mid-century Nevada history. He helped establish like the Nevada Energy uh, Company. So like he was a like a big deal. Uh, as one of the founders of what we know as Las Vegas now. And they say that the place is haunted, um, that you know people have seen weird spirits inside the haunted museum, built in like the 1930s. So it was before yeah. he brought all the stuff in there. It already had yeah. its own history. Okay. They say it was haunted. Also, the Wangerts moved out in the 1970s when Cyril died. And he said, Zach says that there were satanic rituals in the basement. He still sees like pentagrams and stuff down there. What about the goat man? <laughs> right, the goat <laughs> man's in the basement. No, okay. And the thing is, uh, you go there, and then when you read about the history of the building, is actually it was law offices after it was, um, you know, it was a legal office after it was a home, and then eventually became the home to the Nevada State Bar was in that same building. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, well, lawyers can be evil. Yeah. <laughs> so there might have been some satanic stuff there. But you go there, and number one, the line is huge. Like, it, only 12 people go through at a time wow. through the museum. And it, it's a guided tour. And you get there, and they're like, oh, yeah, you might have to wait like a half an hour in line. We waited a, about an hour and a half in line. Wow. Yeah, and you get a, a waiver, you know, and the waiver says things like, you know, we are not responsible for demonic activity. You know, anything that happens because of supernatural <laughs> powers. Like it's a whole... Your like, eyes might pop out of your head. <laughs> right? Are you and okay with that? Stuff. You have to ask yourself. <laughs> Seriously you cool consider. Right. I know you waited an hour and a half, but do you want to send this? <laughs> and, you know, so you, so you sign the waiver, you wait in line. And this is where it gets interesting. So I'm, I'm waiting in line with my wife. And I'm just we're just talking. And, you know, she laughs about the waiver and she thinks this is pretty silly. And mm-hmm. it's cold outside. It's, you know, it's, it's in the 40s on, on Wednesday. Oh. So it's super cold. It ended up snowing that night. Oh, wow. The first oh, time no. it snowed. Yeah. It's, no, it snowed all. Oh, my know, they, had a, they had a snow day for Las Vegas schools the next day. So, yeah, it snowed that night. It was freezing when we were there. And so we're waiting outside. And, you know, we talked about this, I think, in the, in the wrap-up of the Michigan convention this year. Uh, we're just talking about some ghost stories, and my wife's not a believer or really into this stuff at all. But I mentioned the idea that John Tenney put forward in the, the Michigan Paracon this year is that, of course, when you see a ghost or whatever, how can you see something that's non-corporeal, that they can't reflect light? Like, your eyes are looking at something, um, you know, physically that can't exist because it wouldn't reflect light back on you. So then what if when you see a ghost, what you're not seeing is an actual entity in front of you. You're seeing an energy that just touched a neuron in your brain and activated that neuron. So you, you see your grandmother in her favorite dress because the neuron was activated. 
I feel like my neurons are being violated. <laughs> something in your mind created this, the perception of seeing something when it wasn't actually there, that concept. Right. And uh, as I was telling you that story, she's like, did, did you see a little girl? No. <laughs> and so, uh, so you're... The line is you're next to a fence and there's a, a parking lot next door to the Haunted Museum. And she said, let me go back in the description here. Um, as we were sitting there, she's like, well, did you see that little girl run across the parking lot? Because um, I think she was there and, and then she disappeared. And I'm like, what? And she said that uh, as I was telling her that story about the activation of the neurons in the brain, she sees a girl with long brown hair, like waist length brown hair, and a bluish gray old timey dress running across the parking lot. The girl looked five or six years old, and then the girl just vanished. Well, also the wow. fact that your wife is a lawyer, so she's extra sensitive to everything around that house. Probably. Yeah, the lawyer stuff. Wow. Yeah, so she, she sees that and she's like, whoa. And like, we're, we have just gotten in line. Like, I just, you know, I'm like, I'm taking a picture, I'm putting on Instagram, be silly or whatever. And then she's like, do you see that? You already got your money's worth. <laughs> yeah. Right? So she already had, she had an experience. That's awesome. And, and then we go in and they talk about the Wangert children. Like that they had five kids, but a boy died young. Um, before they actually even moved in there. And then they moved in there. There was only four children that lived in the house. And so we were looking online to see if we could find a picture of the Wenger children. And you can, uh, actually, in the um, Nevada Historical Society. You can, find the, you can find pictures of the children there. And none of them particularly looked like who she saw running across the street. Well, maybe it was the neighbor kid or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the thing is, also, she made it sound like the dress was uh, from like even a time before the 1920s. Ah. So what she saw seemed to be uh, predating. Yeah, predating even the the people who lived in the house. But we did, you know, that night when we were um, talking about it, we were looking through and trying to see if we could find pictures of the kids. And I eventually did find pictures of the kids and they... We don't know if they matched up or not. So the jury's still out. But just the fact that she had an experience, somebody doesn't even care. You know, she goes to the Haunted Museum with me as a begrudging, uh, you know, <laughs> she's there, you know, just to, just to satisfy my curiosity. And because the thing is, it's expensive because it's 44 bucks. Ooh. Number one's expensive. It's an hour and a half. You wait for a long time. You're greeted by uh, Angry Joe, who's one of the guys <laughs> who was on the Ghost Adventures a bunch of times. Uh, with Zach, you read by Angry Joe, and then once you go in, I mean, we could just talk about the, like the stuff they have. It's mostly if you've seen Deadly Possessions, you've yeah. seen most of the stuff inside oh. the Haunted Museum. Did you see the staircase from the Demon House? Absolutely, I saw the cool. staircase from the yeah. Demon House. That's the very last exhibit, and they actually let you opt out of certain things. <laughs> like it's half the stuff is cursed objects. And half the stuff is just haunted house style. Like the scariest thing is actually this clown room, like this clown maze. <laughs> and I feel bad about this because Chris was freaked out by the clown maze. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah. And she's, she's, like, she's like, I'll find the guy that I want to go through it. So I just start going through it. And I didn't realize that the guy was already past us. Oh, and the clown no. maze is one of the rooms that you can't opt out of. So she just had to go through it alone. And I'm at the end. She's like, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> so it was great. Um, and the clown, the clown maze wasn't haunted. It was just scary. But it's uh, um, a lot of it's serial killer stuff. Mm. So mm. it's things you know. You're talking about Rosemary's Baby, obviously directed by Roman Polanski, and he was married to Sharon Tate, uh, who was you know murdered along with their child. By the Manson um, family, yeah. By the Manson family, and he's got Charles Manson's ashes there. What? From the cremation. Wow. Yeah, so Charles Manson's ashes are in there. Ugh. Ted Bundy's glasses, like the, you know, the, the glasses That's, that they found with Ted Bundy. Yeah, the only ones that will correct the, uh, the damage that was done at the demon house. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's got some serial killers I've never heard of. Like the like a, a whole torture setup, like and they redo the torture setup, and that was that was more dark. Yeah, just than exploitive. Haunted. So like the yeah. dark, the dark stuff is a little hard. There's, but there's a, about thirty different rooms. Bella Lugosi's mirror, right? And there are some stories behind that, and he has that. Yes, and and so the thing is, the mirror was in the house that Bella Lugosi used to live in, and so the woman who was living in the house uh, said that she saw weird things in the mirror, 
Now, I don't know if they can particularly trace it to actually Bela Lugosi owned it, but it was a mirror that was in a house he, he used okay. to own. And so you look in the mirror, and it's like, some people see dark things. And I'm like, <laughs> I want to see dark things. And I look at it, and, and I don't see anything. Uh, the only thing that kind of freaked me out, um, I mean, the, the serial killer stuff gets you after a while. Oh, I'm like yeah. Dr. Gavorkian's van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they have a whole setup of like Dr. Gavorkian's van, like where he killed people. Uh, or, you know, um, Assisted them. There's a whole there's like a marionette room because Zach is afraid of clowns, dolls, <laughs> and circus, <laughs> circus stuff. And so there's so he collects that stuff. So there's a whole there's a marionette room, and the marionette, uh, like the female marionette in the front was moving, like her hand was moving up, Ooh. and her head moved like this. And I saw him like that's weird. And then somebody else sees it, and. Um, one of the guides told me like, no, we have no mechanics in that room whatsoever. And then another guide said they did. Uh. The thing is, there's so, you have like six or seven different guides. They're horrible. Uh, oh no! Like no, they really are. The, the guides aren't very good. Like if you could just walk through, like the rooms are beautifully set up. They're mm. really staged well. The lighting, the sound, it is. I mean, it's like an extreme haunted house. Cool. It's extreme. <laughs> um, it is like walking into a haunted house designed by a Mountain Dew gorging 15-year-old. <laughs> Otherwise known as Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, is it worth a visit? Yeah, because the thing is, like, you see the Dybbuk box, but we, we were talking about attachments before. The, the one that seemed to, I thought was the funniest was, because you don't get to take any pictures, no pictures, no video, no anything, and then you go see Peggy, the possessed doll, and so she's like a, a little doll, and they even have a quote from Greg and Dana Newkirk, their Weak and Weird <laughs> cool. website, that says, like, this doll will make, it makes people vomit. And they've got a spirit box going the whole time in this doll room, and then you can ask the doll questions. That's cool. Wait a second, wait a second. Does anybody try the vomiting thing? I mean, are there little, like, airport bags, like, next to her? <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, like, buckets? Awesome. I mean, how are they going to keep the museum clean? <laughs> But uh, it's a room. It's a tile room that can hose it down yeah. afterwards. Right. I guess it would have to be right. <laughs> that would be that would be great. But when you go into the room, the spirit box is first of all it's blasting, yeah. and you can just ask questions. And like it didn't say anything, whatever. But everybody seemed like timid to ask questions, <laughs> and I was just like. Because they say, well, say hello and say goodbye when you walk in and walk out, because Peggy's been known to affect people in a negative way, and. Peggy freaked my wife out too because she's like, <laughs> I looked her in, the, I looked her in the eye. So when, when and, and she and she and that means she came with me because the whole time they're warning you about attachments. And so the rest of the weekend, whenever we had something ba- unlucky happen, or the snow or whatever, damn it, we'd Peggy, just be like <laughs> you were yep, cursed. Damn it, Peggy, you you came with us. But it's a fun thing. Visually, it's a really interesting place. I could talk. We, we can talk more about uh, cursed items and stuff like that in another episode and, and, and go into it. But the really exciting thing, first of all, is that Chris had an experience, and she's not an experiencer kind of person. Mm-hmm. And so she's just very va- matter of fact. She's like, did you see that girl? I'm like, no, I didn't. She's like, mm, I saw something. <laughs> and then like the demon house steps and the the cursed cauldron of ed gein we'll talk about on an ed gein specific episode because it makes some claims uh that i think are rather dubious but oh yes <laughs> but i'm not going to blame that entire one on zach baggins uh we can blame a local wisconsin guy for that and that's a teaser for another episode we'll have when we talk about uh our man ed yes well thank you chuck for this great idea for an episode of curses. Yeah, it was great. You're welcome. And for sharing your own experiences with potential curses. And so make sure uh, you visit uh, the show notes and check out Chuck's book, Stranger Than Fiction. It is a good deal. And the only way to help this man break his curse <laughs> is by reading this book from beginning to end. And, and then giving it five stars on Amazon. <laughs> That's true. All right. Scott, thank you for the Cap Streeter curse story. Where can people find more about the weird stuff you like? Um, just just ask me. Now, uh, whatsyourghoststory.com, or uh, you can find me on YouTube as well, where I post some videos. And Allison, if people want to know how to get in touch with you and uh, see your weird self. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel too, youtube.com slash mothman, and you can always find out more about me and weird stuff I'm planning at hawaiiparacon.com. Wendy, where can they listen to our weird songs? Ooh, you can check them out at 
sunspotuniverse.com, or just look them up on Spotify or iTunes. That's right. In an episode about curses, we had to discuss the power of belief and the power of suggestion. And those are both influenced by superstition. And fighting the natural urge to believe in superstition is one of the most difficult battles a person can fight. So that's the theme of this week's Paranormal Song of the Week, and it's called Man vs. Self. You can listen to the song by checking out the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 237, or you can check out our Spotify playlist, See You on the Other Side, Songs of the Week. Check it out. And like we mentioned before, this episode topic was suggested by Chuck Martin, one of our fabulous Patreon communities, and one of the reasons we wanted to feature him in this particular episode. Great idea, great author, and our Patreon community might be the coolest freaking people in the world. I love them, and I want to give a special shout out to our Patreon supporter, Ned. Dr. Ned. So awesome. Doc Ned. <laughs> he's at the level where we give him a shout out in every single episode. We want you to be at that level too, friends. So make sure you check that out at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. By the way, I'm not liable for any equipment malfunctions due to the curse. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. Yeah, everybody save. Save and save again. Yes. (laughs)